welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Camille Oaks, president and CEO of Better Safety, about how COVID-19 is impacting employers. And now, on to the interview. Okay. I'm joined today by Camille Oaks, president and CEO of Better Safety. Welcome, Camille. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. We're actually uh, we're here in Cleveland for the EHS Daily Advisor Exchange. And we're going to talk about psychological safety. Um, and, and I guess, we'll, you know, we can jump right into it. Actually, before that, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with uh, Better Safety. Sure. So um, I help businesses and organizations build better safety. I believe in continual improvement. I believe you can always get better no matter where you are. So I focus on building safety leaders and helping them to create better training, better culture, and ultimately better business. Nice. Um, well, getting to the topic of psychological safety, how important is psychological safety in the age of COVID-19? It is wildly important. Um, first, let's start with like, what is psychological sure. safety? It is a belief that an environment is safe for interpersonal risk taking, like speaking up with a question, um, a concern, an idea, or even a mistake. So it's not new. It is something we maybe would have called good culture before. Um, And it was needed before. And all COVID has done with regard to that is make psychological safety the expectation. Um, it's brought mental health and well-being, and does my company take care of me um, as, a, as a total person? It's brought that to the forefront. From an EHS perspective, if a person doesn't feel safe to speak up, to report an error, a near miss, or even to ask a question in a training, then the risk of physical danger goes up. So, you know, obviously, you know, you're, you're going around and, and Zoom, but talking to employers and employees about sort of that level of psychological safety, you know, where is it at now? What are you seeing when you talk to people around the country? I see um, a lot of organizations focused on leadership development, on my leaders are good at the technical side. Um, so I get a lot of requests for, you know, my, my team needs help with emotional intelligence, with getting people to do things. And I think that that's where psychological safety comes in, that these organizations are really about trying to build leaders, really focused on trying to build leaders that can do more than just the operational side of their job, that they can actually lead and take care of their people. Um, and enhancing their skills there. I definitely see the need for that coming through. Has there been an evolution of psychological safety over the years, um, you know, in terms of are we getting better at it? Uh, you know, are we, I, you know I, I mean, I think we're paying more attention to it now maybe than we used to, but, you know, from when our parents were working in companies, you know, I imagine it was much different in terms of, you know, that, that side of the business. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that we've had, it used to be, you go to work, you do your job, and if you don't want to do your job, you don't work here anymore, right? right? And too bad, so sad. 
and it's kind of the old safety cop versus safety partner mentality and this new view of safety. So I think in, in our role as safety people, we've pushed for it. Um, in organizations, you see it in like an employee assistance program. Um, I don't know if we're getting better at it and that will be interesting to see like what research shows over the next yeah, few like, years. Are we just paying lip service to I, it? I would imagine that's the case for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, we care about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we formed a committee, but the committee is not diverse. Right, right. You know, you can, we can do a lot of stuff on paper that we're not doing in practice. Um, you know, I mentioned this yesterday in the panel here at the conference, if we say that somebody has value um, as a as an essential worker, and that's the message that we're sending, but then our business practices of do you you're sick and we expect you to take time off because we don't want you to spread COVID, and it might be COVID, but then we charge you sick days for that, or we fire you for missing more time than you have available. You know, it's not a safe environment to speak up with, oh, I have a little cough, I think I need to take advantage of our programs that we have in place. Yeah. You know, I, I think very much, it, it very easily could be lip service. Yeah. Um, so how can employers convince their workers to follow COVID protocols? So this, I mean, this is not new to us in safety, that we have some safety thing that needs to be followed, some safety rules, wear your hard hat, don't walk in that area, come to a complete stop at the stop sign. And it's, it's a bigger version of that. And unfortunately, it's also a little bit different. So what's new in this of trying to get people to follow some safety rule is you could say, I don't need a hard hat, nothing's gonna fall on my head, and I've been doing this since before you were born, and that kind of stuff. And, but eventually that person will probably put their hard hat on because it's not a hill they're willing to die on. COVID is different, and, the, and those COVID protocols are different, and it is something that people are willing, and we're seeing them willing to lose their jobs over, to, to quit over a mandate of a mask or a, or a vaccine. So there, it's a little bit more difficult because we, so I think we have to go about it differently. We're talking about like hard hats, things like that, where you're, where you're other PPE. We can convince by teaching them you know, the value in it. And I don't think we can do that because you're going to run into, everything is so divided, you're gonna run into, I refuse, I absolutely refuse. So I would say the most an employer can do is get very, very clear on what the protocols are, communicate them constantly using multiple different methods, and reinforce them in a fair and just manner. So that might mean if somebody's not following them, then they don't work here anymore and not giving those multiple chances. If it's your policy, you enforce your policy. You could have, if you want to get buy-in, which you won't get 100% buy-in, but if you want to get buy-in, you can do what we do, what we advocate already in safety, bring people together, include your frontline workers, include your leadership, have some kind of committee commission input from them 
and then communicate your decision out. It's going to be hard. Yeah. Um, similarly, how can or how should businesses handle employees who refuse to or can't get vaccinated against COVID-19? So I think the important thing here is to think about what is your what is your company going to do with regard to mandates and whatever decision you make has to be based in risk there's going to be risk if you mandate vaccinations um people might not want to work there people can't get it uh people refuse to get it um implications if a person has negative effects from the vaccination osha's mentioned um in march of 2022 uh having that be recordable work-related responses to work-related injuries in response to a vaccination so there's risks to doing it that way and then there's also obviously massive risks to not mandating it um people quit because they think that's too dangerous and um so it's a huge question Again, at the end of the day, whatever you choose as your company policy has to be communicated and then followed. If you say a mask or a vaccination is mandatory to work here and the person refuses, okay, so then is it, is it that they're let go or is it that they submit to testing on their own dime every uh, every Tuesday and Thursday and you're prepared to fund that or they have to pay for it? Whatever, whatever you're going to do um, has to be communicated and has to be then adhered to. Because you also have to deal with the folks who are vaccinated and who don't necessarily want to work with somebody who isn't. Yeah, absolutely. So and a division there. Yeah. And so no matter what, people will be unhappy and so that's there's value in the input from your people but um ultimately you have to take those risk factors into 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 it if you're 80 percent vaccinated if you do a survey and you find that 80 percent of your of your of your workforce is vaccinated you're probably going to have a different mandate and a different policy a different protocol than an organization where only 20 percent are willing and you have to at the end of the day you're trying to do business and you have to keep the business running based on lots of things yeah um i want to talk about the osha uh, emergency temporary standard how, how do you see that affecting businesses so for now the emergency tem- emergency temporary standard is specific to healthcare and healthcare support settings and it lays out requirements like testing contact tracing um, they call it physical distancing, physical barriers, training, screening, and record keeping. Record keeping is going to matter. Now, in my opinion, with the standard being so late in the game, you know, it went live June of 2021, and we've been in this since March 2020. I'm not saying it should have been sooner, but that's when it came out. So that late in the game, most organizations are already doing some version of all of those things. So the only, in my opinion, the only thing that's going to, the only thing the ETS is doing, emergency emergency temporary standard is doing, is forcing those companies that weren't already doing it. And if you were in healthcare or in a healthcare setting, 
you need to be doing something. Yeah, you need to be doing something and you were probably doing it already. So I don't think that that standard is going to have a tremendous amount of effect because it's a year and a half later, we are used to social distancing, hand sanitizer, some places are doing contact tracing, temperature check. We're used to that's become a, a norm for us. So I don't know how much having it in writing for one specific industry right. is making an impact on a random warehouse or foundry. Um, as you're talking to you know, your clients, are you seeing things that are being neglected because of the focus on COVID protocols and, you know, sort of, you know, being concerned about whatever mandates are, are in place. Are there things that are getting overlooked that, you know, probably shouldn't be? I, not anymore, but last year when everything was crazy and people didn't know what was happening, there were massive delays in training. So anything that could be put off was being put off. I have clients now who are on the, on the one end who have, you know, man done done what we sometimes do in safety written a policy that says we do x and then not actually enforced it or done you know we accept that it's not going to be done so i have clients that are um down 25 percent of their workforce on any random day because they're in low vaccination areas or they're hit by a delta variant and on that when that happens, the only focus becomes operations. Do the work. There is no behavior-based safety. There is no extra auditing. There is no anything else. Um, but in places that have started earlier with mandates, with all those different pieces of the emergency temporary standard, they're old hat at it. It's been... Yeah. It's becomes, been a year. They've been doing it. Yes. Yeah. In the same way, if you had a workplace violence event and you changed your security procedures and it's a year later, it would be in the same way they mentioned yesterday in our panel about TSA. We all now expect to go through airport security. And it took a while, but it's the norm now. And, yeah, you know, people are getting used to masks. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't love wearing a mask, but... I also know that you know, I haven't had a cold since right? March 2020. Yes. So. Yeah. My, uh, I had a baby this year and I had to give birth in a mask and wow. it was, it was not great, but it was also doable. Yeah. You know, it was fine. And I have a baby in daycare and he, we've had way less sickness than, than the other kid. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess, do you feel that we're going to still be talking about this a year from now or some some form of, you know, these issues? I think um, I've gotten out of the business of predicting the future because uh, and we, we a lot of us should be because everything we thought summer it's over. Rip right. the, we ripped the masks off. We got the shot, we yep. ripped the masks off our face. And then all of a sudden, oh, no, you don't actually need masks anymore even though there's the Delta variant. And now actually we have these breakthrough cases, so we put them yeah. on. And I think that, uh, I think we will be talking about it. Hopefully the conversation will be different. It won't be, what should we do? It will be, how can we improve? Um, 
but I think we're in it for the long haul. Um, you know, getting back to sort of the whole psychological impact of all of this, um, obviously there are people who, you know, don't want to come back to work, mm-hmm. you know, even if they, you know, obviously need to work, but, you know, the, the impact of the disease and, you know, maybe they've gotten it or maybe somebody, you know, maybe they're just afraid of getting it, but what kind of impact is that having on businesses where, you know, in some, certainly in some industries, they're struggling to find people to do the work? Um, well, I read that 36, which I thought was a low number, but 36% of Americans would consider quitting if they had to go back to the office. Um, I yeah, think, I would think that's higher. Yeah, I would imagine like 60%, but it's surveys. It could be a small survey. Right. Um, I know that a lot of businesses are, are, I think that we've spent in safety and anybody in corporate America has heard for the past few years about like how important it is pre-COVID, how important it is to always be changing. Um, don't end up like blockbuster, you know, be the Netflix and be agile and that's where we are now is that part has to continue so if our if we can't find workers for a job then you need to change the job or the you know figure out what is it the pay that you're offering it is it the working in place i've seen a lot what i really do see a lot of is recruiters and people who are um looking for jobs asking the question, how did you take care of your employees during COVID? And if you don't have an answer, why would, I mean, it's supply and demand. If I could go somewhere where I can work from home when uh, it's four days a week where they have mandatory vaccinations and I am on the uh, risk averse side because this didn't happen to me before. As an example, I'm a person who has lost somebody to COVID. I have uh, an, a, a baby in my house right. and an old relative. Yeah. If I'm given, a, if my chance is to work for a job that pays more, lets me work from home, doesn't expose me and has proven that they cared about people, why would I go somewhere else? So, Are you seeing more employers kind of going that route because they you know, they're, they're competing for workers now. I mean, are they, are they becoming more of, you know, I, I would imagine, you know, certainly pre-COVID, but like, you know, that was stuff that they would resist, you know, yeah. letting people work from home that, right. that much, you know. But obviously, like you said, we've had to change, we've had to adapt to this situation. Uh, are more employers kind of willing to make those concessions to make sure they have a From what I see, I mean, I can't say, I have not seen the changes in my clients, but from what I see, you've got, um, LinkedIn says our employer, our employees can work from home forever. Um, the same with, I think Netflix said that as well. Um, if you look at it, it's kind of this holistic worker idea. Target just said, we're going to pay for college for everyone. Starbucks did that years ago, and that was not the norm. And now it's Target. McDonald's is raising their wages. I think that we are becoming, we are moving I don't know how long it will last, but it is becoming more that my, I expect more of my company in a way that maybe our, you know, our parents had different expectations at their job. 
but they also got a pension, right? you know? Yeah. And there was, I will stay at this company for 40 years because this company will take care of me. Right. And it changed. And now maybe, maybe we're getting back to that. We get younger people in the workforce, um, more millennials and eventually Gen Z's coming into the workforce. They already expected, I want my company to care about the world and do productive do good stuff for the world and have a purpose here. And I think the expectation will continue as, as the workforce changes. Yeah, there's definitely a different mindset yeah. with, with the younger, you know, younger workers coming in. Um, you, know, and, you know, I know certainly baby boomers and you know, folks who are a little older just kind of scoff at you know, these younger workers that they, they want too much and they're mm-hmm. not willing to put the work in. But um, you know, these are the people that you need to do your job right and maybe the work needs to change too right right. and maybe Um, it will i mean there's there could they have good ideas yeah yeah um well i want to thank you so much camille for joining me today really appreciate it thank you for having me this was fun that wraps up episode 78 of ehs on tap you can find more information about the show and listen on demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time.